Hi, and welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church Podcast. We want to thank you for joining us online and remind you to feel free to visit our website at seacoastvineyard.com anytime for up-to-date information on our local church here in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. If you would like to give financially to this ministry, whether that's a one-time gift or a recurring monthly gift, simply click on the Give tab at our website and give however God leads you. Now, we want you to enjoy this message from God's Word. morning, everybody. Good to see you. Uh, my name is Tim. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, we've been in a series that, uh, as you can see, we cause, I doubt it, that guy really looks skeptical, by the way. I, I don't know. Uh, probably the number one complaint or reason people will give you or me, that I've heard anyway, is that when you start talking about there is a good, wonderful, loving God who cares about you and loves you, uh, they immediately come back and go, well, I don't see this good, loving, amazing, caring God. And after this week's uh, situation in Boston and out in Waco, near Waco, Texas and all, you have to almost be prepared for that, don't you? And I think if even in this room right now, there are skeptics and skeptics abound and even in our own heart at times, we wonder just where is God and is he really as good as he says he is. So we've been on this journey and this, this subject was planned months ago uh, and before things happened in Boston. But I know many of us in the first service had people saying, yeah, I had friends in Boston and immediately wanted to uh, get in touch with them. I've got some friends in Boston and they have a nine-year-old actually. And so the first thing I did was text him and is everybody okay? And, and they were out of, out of town, you know, that day and all. And so pain, the problem of pain that breeds doubt in us. Uh, we've looked at all different, uh, different subjects. Next week, we're going to look at the problem of hypocrites. I love this topic. You know, I'm not going to church. I'm not going to listen to what you have to say, Tim. There's too many hypocrites in the church. And so we're going to look at the problem or the doubt breeder of hypocrites in the church, Christian hypocrites. Today I want to look at pain. It's probably number one. 300 years B.C., there was this philosopher named Epicurus. And Epicurus wanted to design a philosophy that would free people from two things, fear and pain. Well, it sounds like a good philosophy, doesn't it? How can I put together such a belief system that it will get people free from fear and get people free from pain? And Epicurus uh, said this. This is his quote as he developed his philosophy. Either God wants to abolish evil and cannot, or he can but does not want to, or he cannot and does not want to. If he wants to but cannot, he is impotent. If he can but does not want to, he is wicked. But if God both can and wants to abolish evil, then how come evil is in the world? Pain's a problem. Pain is a problem for all of us. And uh, how do we reconcile all the pain and loss in life with a good and loving and wonderful God? Just uh, four weeks ago, we looked at Jesus we know that Jesus went through his own time of pain. We looked at the last 24 hours of Jesus' life prior to him going to the cross. And we saw that he was in such agony and such pain that in the Garden of Gethsemane, 
he went there and collapsed under the load physically of pain. It was an emotional and spiritual onslaught that affected him physically. He was just so weak, he fell to the ground. And this happened three times. And like some of us here, at your moment of pain, at your moment of loss, you look around for your best friends. You look around for someone that would just be there with you, and they're not there. And you know what? Jesus knows what that's like. Because he looked around and he said, guys, would you just stick it out with me? Just be there with me. And they, what would they do? They fell asleep. You know, it's, Jesus knows this situation with pain. We're going to be over in Psalm 73. If you have your Bibles and you want to turn over there. You know, one of the things I like about this book is that this book is grounded in reality. It doesn't pull any punches when it comes to the problems that you and I face and the challenges that you and I face. This book is filled with pain. You ever read this? I mean, you ever took a chance? I mean, you know, you see it lying around. You keep reading these things like, hey, it's still the number one bestseller. I don't know. Must be something about this book. If you read this book, you'll see that this is, this is a PG-13 book. I mean, there's violence in here. There's sex in here. There's struggle in here. There is a picture of the world. There's a picture of us. There's a picture of our struggles and the fact that God came to earth in the middle of that to show us his love and his care and concern. This is not some little floating around book, you know, it's like some, somebody dreamed up like Epicurus of how to deal with fear and pain and, you know, you go off in some weird mind meld deal out in space to get away from it all. It deals with reality. God deals with reality in our lives. I'm grateful for that. And so in Psalm 73, we find a psalm that is written by a worship leader. This is one of King David's worship leaders. He had three main worship leaders. And you know worship leaders are very sensitive types. So this psalm is written very sensitive side to it. But he also was a drummer. Now, drummer jokes abound if you're a musician. Um, matter of fact, do you know why drummers have lots of kids? They're not too good at the rhythm method. That's why. I got a lot of drummer jokes. <laughs> Sorry, Jeff. Uh, but God is good at redemption. He's good at taking things and saving them and restoring them. And this guy, Asaph, was quite the worship leader, quite the drummer. He would play his drums and actually start prophesying. He would begin to sing and he would begin to tell forth God's goodness. And, and uh, So let's just read the first three verses here to get launched out in this. Psalm 73, 1 through 3. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Amen, right? But... As for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Let's pray. Father, we ask your blessing on your word this morning. This topic, Lord, as much as we wish it wasn't, is, is very near our hearts. And I'm asking for your help today. Holy Spirit, would you come, do what only you can do. And, and those of us who are in pain right now and are hurting, those of us who doubt that you are a good God and that you have good things for your people, 
Lord, would you come and be with us today? Breathe life on your word. Holy Spirit, come and come alongside like it was said you would do and come along and be our comforter, be our teacher this morning. And we welcome you here. We welcome you here, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. I just want to point out a few things here today when we talk about this problem with pain and uh, the hurdle that maybe if you're in a search to see God, if you want to find out if God is really a good God, is there any reality to being able to come to know this creator? Uh, The first thing is this, and you have a handout, a fill-in that I put in there every week, and it's in there if you want to pull it out and just track along with me. Your first fill-in is simply this. Pain is a problem of perspective. Pain is a problem of perspective. I mean, right off the bat, Asaph says that surely God is good to Israel. Well, he's seen that. He's stepped back and he's seen how God is good to Israel. We sing songs about the goodness of God, don't we? I mean, God, we used to have an old saying, God is good. Is anybody in here old enough to remember the response? All the time, that's right. God is good all the time. That's right, all the time God is good. And, uh, but it doesn't, you know, that's a perspective. God is good all the time. You get a perspective of the goodness of God. And Asaph had that perspective. He had seen the goodness of God. He knew that God was good. And, uh, but look at that next verse, verse 2. There was one perspective. You know, I keep seeing when I think about perspective, this is a situation in your life, right? And you have been affected by it. You only have this view of what's going on in your life. There is this view, this view, this view, this view, and all the way around it. We only get one view. Of course, our view is the most painful view, right? When we're in a situation. But it is one view. It's one perspective. Pain has a perspective. And the depth of that pain can either narrow or broaden our perspective of what's going on in our lives. And Asaph, he had, he had that, that God was good to Israel. He had seen that. But then something was going on with him because in verse 2, but as for me... As for me, have you ever said that? God's good to you, yeah. But as for me, I'm not so sure God is so good to me. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Now, we don't have a problem sometimes when we see people suffer because they've done dumb things, right? I mean, when I do dumb things and I hurt myself, There's no reason for me to shake my fist at God and go, look how dumb I am. You know, (laughs) why did you let me do that, God? We might say that. But you have a bad habit that suddenly makes you sick. We can, much as we are distraught over it, if we look back, you know, if I smoke two, three packs of cigarettes a day and then one day I find out I have cancer, it's like, I mean, this is what happened to my mom. I mean, I look at that. You, you kind of justify that. You go, well, but then we go, well, I know other people who smoke five packs of cigarettes a day, and they live to, like my grandmother, 101 years old. Why did it have to be my mom that died so early? But in a way, we find ways to justify because of our particular perspective. Some, we can understand the fact that maybe if I spend a lot more than I make, I'm probably going to get in trouble eventually. So there's no reason to shake our fist at God when we go bankrupt, when we spent every penny we had and more, and now we're sitting in a situation where we don't have anything. We kind of justify because of our perspective. 
because of the way that we look at it. If you're a good person, you're generous, you're loving, and you treat people well, and then you're treated well, you go, with that, you know, I understand that sowing and reaping thing, that it's true, you know, or karma, you know. It's like, if I do this, this comes back. And so if I do good things, you know, good things will come back at me. If I do bad things, bad things come. We justify, we have a perspective somewhat that, but then again, there are things that happen that just don't make sense. And, and we look at it and we go, that, that shouldn't have happened. Psalm 73, 2, he says, but as for me, my feet almost slipped. I looked at this and it, it, it's a problem for me, God, this worship leader. I mean, this man who leads the worship of God in the temple and writes worship songs and leads hundreds and even thousands of other worship leaders and musicians and praise and worship, he goes, I'm seeing some things, I'm experiencing some things that are giving me a different perspective. You don't look as good as I thought you did now. I'm not so sure you're good all the time. Suddenly, real life runs into this theological belief. Psalm 73, 13 through 14, he continues and he says this, Surely in vain have I kept my heart pure. In vain have I washed my hands in innocence. Boy, what a beautiful poetic statement. All day long I have been plagued. I have been punished every morning. I've done everything I could. I even, my hands were innocent. They haven't done anything wrong. I've done all I know. And at the same time, I'm plagued. Why does all of this enter my life? Why am I suffering this way? Every morning I wake up and I face it. And we don't know what Asaph was going through. Maybe he had a chronic pain. Some of you guys carry pain with you every day. You wake up, you live with it. You wish God would take it away. You continue to pray for God to take it away. As you, as you get older, my doctor, every year I go in for a physical, he says, okay, where's the new spot that it hurts? He's like, what have you discovered now that hurts? <laughs> It's like every year there's a new one. But some of us carry a chronic pain. If you've had back pain, if you've had something like that, you know the pain is always there. We don't know what Asaph went through. Maybe it was a family member. Maybe a child he had lost. Maybe he looks out in his world, that one theological perspective suddenly is being questioned because of what he feels and what he's seen. All through history, men and women of God have uh, found themselves in positions uh, where they wish life would have been different. They've carried certain pain. Great men and women of God, like St. Augustine. I mean, St. Augustine, probably out of St. Paul, you know, probably for modern time, since uh, the Gospels were written anyway, the greatest theologian of all, St. Augustine died of a wasting disease. I'm not sure what it was. It was just something that drained him and killed him while he was held up in the city as the barbarians were trying to crash the city gates and get in. Here's this great man of God who has given us such rich theology, the city of God and books, confession, and all of these great books and treasure of just beautiful spiritual truths and here he is suffering within the gates as the barbarians threaten to come in and kill him and everyone he suffered with this until the day he died then there's Teresa of Avila Teresa a wonderful prayer warrior woman who prayed for hours and hours on end and she suffered intense migraine headaches have you ever had a migraine I mean it's one of those things that puts you in a dark room right in a corner and you don't want anything to move 
You don't want to see any light and you don't want to hear any sound. None. And yet she prayed. She was known to pray for days and days and days. Brother Lawrence, who wrote the book Practicing the Presence of God. Brother Lawrence, uh, who spent so much time with God in prayer too, suffered from a tremendous case of gout. Uh, have you ever had that? Or had that? I mean, gout is a very painful thing to have. And he prayed to be healed, and he never was. But yet he continued in prayer his whole life. Charles Spurgeon, the greatest preacher probably of modern times, suffered with gout. So much so that he said he didn't even want to put his socks on. That when he even touched the toes, that the, the pain would be so dramatic. And he even prayed, Spurgeon prayed one time, God, if I had a child who was suffering like this, I would heal him. And Spurgeon, probably from the gout or whatever, he also suffered with depression at times. And I've read stories of where his deacons would have to literally pick him up and carry him into the pulpit to preach. Because his feet hurt so bad he couldn't touch the floor. And they would pick him up, take him into the pulpit where literally tens of thousands of people would listen to him preach. They printed his sermons in the newspapers. He touched hundreds of thousands of people with his preaching. So you're not alone in your pain. And there's a whole group of people who have been faithful to God and continue to press in even in the midst of situations that they wish they weren't having to live in. The point of view changes everything. And I think a question for us in our pain is, am I missing something? Is there, am I looking at this part? Is this all I'm seeing? Is just this little bit of it? Or is there another perspective to what's going on in my life and the pain I'm feeling? Is there something else to this? Like we said a few weeks ago, do I have all the information, all the intelligence I need to draw a conclusion about my situation? Is there enough actionable intelligence in order to make this declarative statement about my situation? But you know what? When we're hurting, all we know is we hurt and we want relief, right? We just want some relief. We want someone to come along and help us. Someone to take the pain away. In verse 13, Asaph says, Surely in vain have I kept my heart pure. In vain have I washed my hands in innocence. Look, God, I've been trying to live right. I've been trying to follow you. But look at, look at this. It's in vain. I'm not getting back what I'm putting into this. I had someone tell me that recently. They said, man, we've tried a church thing, Tim. It's just not working for us. Hey, you know, the God thing is just not working. Just not working for us. And Asaph seems to be at that place where he's the same way. He's going, man, you know what? My pain is still acute. I still feel it. There's, I can't get rid of it. Why am I trying so hard to live righteously and just right when this pain is pervasive? But somehow in our strange way of processing information, we think that if we deny God's goodness, it makes our pain go away. <laughs> if I can shake my fist at God and say, take this, I'll feel better. And I want you to know right now, God can take that if you want to give that to him. And that's exactly what Asaph's doing. If you want to get along with God and shake your fist at him, go at it. Go at it. Get before him and pour it out because that, this book is full of that. People being honest with God. 
God's a big dude, man. He can handle it. All right? He's big. He understands. He can take it. Get before him and pour it out and say, I don't get it, God. I'm trying to live my life right. I'm trying to do things right. I'm giving. I'm a good church member. I go to the vineyard. I mean, I give. I serve. I'm in a small group, everything, and still my life sucks. I don't understand. Why? Why, God? Why? What is going on? That's where Asaph seems to be. I love C.S. Lewis. You know who he is, most of you guys. Chronicles of Narnia. He didn't make the movie. He wrote the book. So, just, just want you to know that. Okay. He wrote the great books, the trilogy. I mean, awesome. C.S. Lewis. Uh, who, who can say it like Lewis? Listen to this. My argument against God was that the universe seemed cruel and unjust. But how had I got this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. What was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust? If the whole show was bad and senseless from A to Z, so to speak, why did I, who was supposed to be a part of the show, find myself in such violent reaction against it? Thus, in the very act of trying to prove that God did not exist, in other words, that the whole of reality was senseless, I found I was forced to assume that one part of the reality, namely my idea of justice, was full of sense. Consequently, atheism turns out to be too simple. If the whole universe has no meaning, we should never have found out that it has no meaning. <laughs> Just as if there were no light in the universe and therefore no creatures with eyes, we should never know it was dark. Dark would be without meaning. A different perspective. Looking at things differently. What is your perspective of pain? Could there possibly be another way to look at what you're going through or have been through? And your second fill-in here is this. Pain is a problem for everyone. Not just for someone else. It's for everyone. Pain is a problem for everyone. Not just the Christian, but the non-Christian. Pain is a problem for the atheist, the agnostic, the deist, the theist, the Christian. Pain is a problem for all of us. Take a look around this room this morning. Seriously, take a look. It's a beautiful group. You should see it from me here. Beautiful group of people. If you look around this room and every single one of these seats is someone who has experienced pain or is going through pain at some level right now. We're all in this together. Whether you're a believer yet or not. And I think as believers, as followers of Jesus, those of us who follow Jesus and love him, it's incumbent upon us to realize when we're with a friend who doesn't believe yet that we have something in common, and that is pain. That when your friend who is going through something very horrible, some deep pain, that you can come alongside them at that moment in time and not necessarily preach something to them, but be with them because you too have walked through or are walking through some pain. We're in this together. It's a problem for all of us. Everybody has their story of pain. All of us. Back in October when we had our fall festival here, when we reach out to our neighborhood uh, with some children's stuff and all load up our parking lot with all of these slides and different things, I had a friend come down, a couple from Wilmington, who had moved to Wilmington to plant a church. Now for the last... 
Four years I've been talking with them. They are from Columbus, Ohio. They came down. I met with them over the four years. We met in a restaurant. I invited them to some conferences. We met. We prayed together. We dreamed about a church plant, a vineyard in Wilmington, North Carolina. John, uh, the husband, was a a, uh, a policeman for many years, for 30 years. He was one of these men's men. He's got tattoos. He rides a Harley. And he was in law enforcement. Very charismatic figure, six foot four, shaved head. You knew when John was in the room. The laugh. That, that October, this past October, they came down to hang out with us. They rode their Harley down from Wilmington. Now, they sold everything in Columbus. They went through their school, their preparation there at the Columbus Vineyard through VLI. They, come, they sell their house. They move away from their friends. They come to Wilmington. They come down to hang out with us. And right where you guys are sitting, right there, John and Kathy sat that, uh, that Sunday morning in the services. And I can still see John because he had this way of worshiping like this. You know, nobody can see behind him because he's so big. He's like, you know, and he's got that hand going. He hung out on Saturday with us. On Friday, he was in the office with me, he and Kathy, and we're talking about the church plant. They had just started. They worshiped with us that Sunday evening. He gives me a hug out here. He jumps on his Harley. They drive home, and Monday morning, I get a phone call, and John is dead. Bang. And I'm like, what? He had kidney stones that suddenly flared up on the way home, went into the hospital, something as simple as you would think is that, and something happened, some complication, but they thought he was going to be okay. They took him off all the monitoring equipment, everything, left him in his room. Someone comes in to check on him at 4 o'clock on Monday morning, and he's dead. They had left everything, sold everything they had in Columbus to move to Wilmington, North Carolina. Now Kathy is alone in a place with just a few friends planting a brand new church without her husband. Pain is a problem for everybody. My wife and I, we've been through the pain. You know, I want you to know you're in a good, safe place. We've watched our oldest son take the lifeless body of his first son away from his wife to hand it back to the nurse when he died. I mean, pain is a problem for me. It's a problem for the ones you love. We all share stories of pain. And I would hope we could all be there with one another, whether you are a follower of Christ yet or you're still checking it out. I hope in the body of Christ we can be there for one another. Psalm 73, verses 3 through 11. Look what happens with with Asaph. Verse 3, for I envy the arrogant. Here's another part of this, right? For I saw the prosperity of the wicked. There's a bunch of people out there going crazy, and they're doing better than me, Tim. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy. You see them on the magazine stands at Walmart. God forbid you go there. And they're... (laughs) They have their struggles. Their bodies are healthy, strong. They are free from the burdens common to man. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. The evil conceits of their minds know no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. In their arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in an abundance. They say, how can God know? Does the most 
I have knowledge. Turn on television. We see all the beautiful people who don't serve God, don't believe in God, doing great. We don't see the six marriages. We don't see the therapy bills. We don't see any of that. But we see them great. And we think, man, I would love to jump on my 110-foot yacht and go to the South Pacific for six months with my kids to get away from things. I don't get it, God. Here am I trying to do things right. And look at these people. They shake their fist in your face, and yet they look like they're living it up. It doesn't work for me. It doesn't work for me. I just don't understand it, Lord. And then verse 16, Asaph says, Psalm 73, 16, when I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me. When you take it all in and you come to church and you read books and you hear about how good God is and if, if I do A and I do B, it's going to equal C. That there's a formula to this wonderful life now. And that if I can do it just right, it's going to result in this. And then it doesn't work. The formula doesn't work, but it works for everybody else. I don't get it. Why doesn't it work for me? I want you to know this too. Living in this world, we have an enemy called Satan. There is a spiritual entity in this world that is out to exaggerate how good everybody else is doing and to exaggerate your pain and how bad you are doing. The scripture tells us that the enemy, the devil, is come to kill, steal, and destroy. He has a scheme, the word schema in the Greek, he has a plan laid out to try to trip us up and to get us to have only one perspective of our life so that we will not consider any other perspective of what's going on. I mean, we live in a war zone, a spiritual war zone on this earth. We are not in heaven yet. We're not there yet. That's why we keep praying, your kingdom come, Lord, your will be done. On the earth as it is in heaven. And then your last one here is this. Pain is a problem that can and can't be explained. There's some things I think we can understand that will help us. And I've touched on them briefly as we've made our way through this this morning. Look at Psalm 73 verses 16 and 17. When I tried to understand all of this, it was oppressive to me until I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. Until I got with God, until I gathered with the faithful, until I gathered with my brothers and sisters who believe that we indeed have a good and faithful God, until then, that's the way I was. My perspective changed once I became a part of your presence, Lord. Asaph says he's confused, he's distraught, he didn't understand this world with all of its suffering until he got with God. I want you to know this. Pain and evil was not God's intention, original intention. It was not his idea. I want you to know that. That's very important. Originally, there was no evil. Originally, there was no pain. But that free will that man has been given, that great, wonderful gift of free will, put man in a position where evil and where much pain and sorrow and loss has entered this world. But that wasn't God's original plan. And that's not going to be the final say either. Things will be different one day. 
feel the power. Pain is not normal. That's why it feels so bad. It's not normal. It's not a part of original creation. It entered through the thief and through our failure, through our lack of self-control and love of God. Therefore, we live in a fallen world. That's a perspective. You know, when I see Boston, I look at a fallen world. That's what I see. I see a place that was never meant to be like this, but has lots of trouble with people making lots of bad decisions that affect a lot of people. We live in a fallen world, a place that screams for a redeemer, a savior, someone to come along, someone to come along and make sense of it and give us some resource to deal with it. You know, I believe it's affected the way evil and our sin has affected everything in this world. I mean, even to the to the way these, the weather affects things, to our economy. I read this amazing statement, and this is from a Nobel Prize winning economist, uh, I don't know if I can pr- pronounce his name correctly, Amartya Sen. And th- listen to this. No famine has ever taken place in the history of the world in a functioning democracy. We have despots and we have evil governments that go out and take the food from the people who don't take care of people who are not ruled by themselves and not led among themselves. And so that what happens? Pain, suffering. That's a part of the sin of this world, the fallenness of this world, not necessarily of God stepping in and doing that. No famine. We look at famine, we look at these pictures, we go, God, how could you let that go on? You know, that's what we did. That's what we've done in our rulership of the world. No famine has ever taken place in the history of the world in a functioning democracy. And get this. This comes from another study, but 83% of those hundreds of thousands of deaths from earthquakes and tsunamis occur in corrupt nations where the building regulations are very subpar. In other words, the governments, the people don't take care of people. They go in and they take money away. That's a part of the sinfulness of this world. And so those are some of the reasons behind this, this this evil that's present in our world. And then, of course, there's free will. And we make dumb decisions. We go do things and then we reap a whirlwind when we do it. And we want to blame God for it after God has given us free will. And surely there is mystery in all of this. There's no way to to say, I got it all figured out about pain. We don't. We don't. But what can we understand? We can understand this, that God did not create the world this way. It's really important you understand this. God did not create the world this way with all the pain and all the loss. He created it perfect and good. That was the way he wanted it. And that is the way it will be again and maybe you're still mad at God you know and you're like I'm going to blame God so I'm just going to it's kind of like a friend you, you have a fallen out with so you just say well I'm just not going to even look at you anymore so you see him out at Market Common and you go I'll show them I'll walk around the corner <laughs> so I'll just make like you don't exist I'll punish you that way C.S. Lewis again A man can no more diminish God's glory by refusing to worship him than a lunatic can put out the sun by scribbling darkness on his cell. (laughs) 
And our free will is the origin of pain, suffering, and the entry point for sin into this world. And I want you to know this too. God can take pain and turn it into great gain. He really can. We have example after example in this book. Job. We look at Paul and the suffering he went through. Look at Joseph in the Bible. Even listen to Asaph as he makes his way through the 73rd Psalm. And how he ends up at the end of it. At the end of the first service, someone came up to me and said, I want you to know that I went through an amazingly terrible, abusive relationship many, many years ago to the point that I almost died. And then they told me their story of how God had taken, from that point on though, had taken them and they had actually spoken in the Senate, in the Senate, to create bills to help protect women from abuse. And how that through the situation that God had placed them in a position of being able to start small groups of support and healing for them. Now, God didn't cause the pain, but he's darn good about recovering things. Romans 8, 28 says, you know, that he will cause all things to work together for good. Didn't mean he caused all things, but it means the devil won't have the last word in your life. He can take whatever is meant for harm to you, and he can turn it to good. That's what that person was telling me. That's what this church is. We would not be here. Some of the stuff that we went through 16 years ago, we would not even be here now had we not walked through some of the paths that we had to walk down. We are here. So don't give up on God being a great redeemer in your life because he's really good at it. God can turn loss into gain. And I want you to know that it won't always be like this. There's a Sam Gamgee and, you know, the... Uh, the ring trilogy and all that uh, when Gandalf when he finds out Gandalf is still alive you know he says this I thought you were dead but then I thought I was dead myself and he asked this question is everything sad going to come untrue is everything sad going to come untrue and I think it was Tolkien when he was writing this pointing toward the way it will be one day when indeed everything that is sad will come untrue. Let's pray. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast from Seacoast Vineyard Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We look forward to you joining us next time on iTunes or at our website, www.seacoastvineyard.com.